Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Those of you who were here in July know that after I did the third part of this series, I said, this is the last one. But I really missed that theme song. So I decided we're going to do part four of of, uh, having that sense of how do we grow in our spiritual life. And if you weren't here, that's okay. Give you like the quickest of updates. And, And that's this, that it turns out as we look in the Bible, the way that we grow is by enjoying God. And you thought it was some tedious thing that you're like, that picture was supposed to be the picture that you're going to kind of get in your mind and is supposed to stay there because it is that place of relationship, of connection that, that you are actually most fulfilled in and you have that great place. And I talked to you about the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work in three things in your life that you can join him in. And the first is this, it's your identity in Christ. It's who you really are. And uh, once you kind of get that sort of the foundation piece of everything that you have in your life, God's at work in your identity, helping you understand no matter what anybody says, no matter what he does, no matter what happens in this world, if you understand who you really are and whose you really are, none of it matters. Say amen. amen. Right? This is your foundation in life. And then we're talking about kingdom call and destiny. So today I'm going to finish off, maybe, by talking to you about your kingdom call. What is it the thing that is most that you are called to do? Jesus didn't save you and then go, oh, geez, now i got to find something for them to do. Like, what was he supposed to do? Oh, my goodness, there's so many people, right? He saved you for a purpose. The Bible says, this is like sort of mind-blowing. The Bible says that he knew and planned out your stuff before the world that he saved you, that you have a purpose in life. And your purpose in life is to have the most toys when you die. (laughs) Oh, no, that's the rest of the world, right? Your purpose in life is... And, and I, this is like my version of it, is to know God and make him known. That's it. Isn't that simple? Like you thought it was a super complicated thing, or but to know God and make him known. And here's how you do that. And I, I, when I started the series, I said, this is like spirituality for the rest of us. Here's how you do knowing God and being known. You be yourself. Some of you are thinking, eh, seems like a dubious strategy. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. But you know what? God has chosen to say, hey, I made you, I created you, I gave you gifts, I gave you strengths, I gave you abilities. And yeah, yeah, sometimes you're not fantastic. But how you are really going to truly have move into your kingdom call is by being who you really are. And by being yourself. And think, sometimes we make it so complicated, we think... I have to be just like Pastor Mark. No, you don't. The only need one of him, right? And you can only say that about people that you love. There is something of who God has made you to be that's so important. And, we, and I can say that because the Bible's really clear that you are made in the image of God, right? In Genesis, that's what it says, that he, part of who he is is a reflection in you. And so as you see that, you understand that. When uh, my oldest boy was 
about three or four, we'd walk through the mall, and people would always say, oh, man, does he look just like you? And I had somebody walk by, and he goes, well, it wasn't the postman. And I'm thinking... Okay, I'm offended now, but yes, he is, you know, he's mine, right? And, and there, was a, there was a reflection of, of Aaron in me. Now, his, real, his given name was Aubrey Aaron Cron. And as he turned 18 and he went off to missions, he announced to us that he, we always called him Aaron because, like, having two Aubreys in the house was very confusing for my wife. And then I got brushed with the same brush as the kids. Like, my wife would always say, you guys. And I said, listen, don't lump me in with the morons. <laughs> I got my own stuff. I'm going to take advantage of, I'm going to take, you know, I'll, I'll earn that. I'll take it. But don't lump me in with those people. And so, but he said, you know what? I would actually like to be known after this point as Aubrey. And I went, oh, Hmm, that kind of feels good. And God says, I want you to be known as mine. You are Christians. Jesus people. You are his bride. And he made you in a certain way, and he says, I want you to be who I have made you to be. I want you to be yourself. See, I think we make all of this stuff too complicated. I think we make it into something so impossible that we can never possibly attain these things. And I think God's coming to us and he's saying, hmm, I have a new plan. Instead of trying to be all that thing and comparing yourself to people and doing this, how exactly have I made you? Let's go with that. Because that is my design. And my designs aren't wrong. And as you live your life, you're going to find out that that's really important. The second thing I want you to think about as I go through all this message is this. I'm going to leave this up here. I got this from somebody who knows me very, very well. And there are little mustard seeds in there. And uh, as they gave me this, they said, hey, Aubrey, you know what I really appreciate about you? is you do a bunch of small things. And it's just like these mustard seeds. And I've seen you, and she's probably known me for like 20 years. Said, I've seen you over these 20 years just doing these things over and over and over again. Small things. I think the other thing that sometimes messes us up is we forget that this is our life. A bunch of small things that add up to really great stuff. And sometimes I think what we're looking for is the big stuff. How many of you have raised somebody literally from the dead? Your teenagers in the morning don't count. (laughs) Kind of feels like it, right? How many of you, somebody was dying and like completely dying and you laid hands on them and they were healed? few people. Yeah. Yeah. See, we look at this thing and we sometimes measure ourselves to say, if I'm going to have a calling, if I'm going to be like, know God and make him know, it has to be this big, huge thing. But almost all of our lives are this. 
a bunch of small things that, that cumulatively live up to exactly the way God has designed you to be and living that out. And I want you to think about the people that you know and that you respect. The lump sum of their life, the whole totality of their life, actually is what impresses you, isn't it? It's not like the one grand thing, ah, oh, who cares? That is what God has designed us to be. So we're gonna, that is our backdrop. We're going to take uh, a look at three ways that God helps us to actually live out our kingdom calling. And those three ways are this. And, and that concentric, the, 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 that's in the circle there, in the middle, that's sort of what you're always moving toward. This is your whole lifetime, folks. This is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be learning to live expectantly. You're going to be learning to have a lifestyle of influence. That's moving out. And you're going to learn to listen and obey. And you're going to spend your whole life doing this. And in that middle place is when you really get in the zone and you make it happen. And God is working in your life. That's the three things that we are going to take a look at this morning. And as you do that, you're going to learn how to be you. There is... A guy that I always think of when I think of this, because he had his, he was one of the most unique people I've ever met. He was kind of bulletproof in his personality wise, and yet he cared about people. And sometimes when you get a person who doesn't, doesn't really mind being insulted and everything like that, they are, what are they called again? Oh yeah, jerks, right? They, they end up being not caring about people, and, and they're, they're really kind of obnoxious to be around. But this guy, his name was Emut, and we went to Turkey to visit the underground church, the church that uh, everything was done in secret. They had to come into their meetings 15 minutes apart so people wouldn't know that they were going to church. They had to sing super quiet so people wouldn't hear them. Uh, the pastors had been killed and it used to be the government would kill them, but now they want to be in the EU, so they get somebody else to kill the pastors, right? Really, really terrible situation. Everything was done in private, except there was one guy who volunteered to be in a run a Christian Bible bookstore right in the middle of Main Street, and they actually uh, rented a building that had all of their Supreme Court judges lived around them because that way they wouldn't blow it up. Because it was a very, very real thing. And, and I, I, remember I remember hearing Emut and, and meeting him, and I was thinking, oh, this guy's really kind of cool. I like him, and he really cares about people. And then I found out what he does for a job. He is in this Bible bookstore, and people come in, and here's basically how it goes. People come in, they're mad at him, because he's a Christian in a nation that is increasingly more volatilely, in a way, Muslim. And uh, he said this way, he says, well, the men would spit on me, and the women would slap me. And that was pretty much his whole day. Except... After he got slapped and spit on, one of the people would stay behind. And they would come up to him, and they would kind of whisper to him and say, You know what? Last night, I had a vision of Jesus, and he said that he's alive and that I should seek him. And Emut would say, I got the best job in the world. 
<laughs> so here's my question to you. And, and I know some, for some of you, the answer is actually yes. How many of you would like to be spit on and slapped pretty much your whole day, but you'd be good because you get those one or two conversations a week? Usually there's one in the crowd, right? You know what God did? God designed this guy bulletproof. And he wasn't just faking it. He loved his job. He thought he had the best job in the world. None of you want that job. I have good news for you. It's not your job. It's not you. God didn't design you that way. He didn't make you for that. He has made you a certain way so you can be powerful and effective in knowing him and helping people know him, whether you're in school or whether you are shopping or whether you are doing whatever it is that you're doing, you're playing hockey with your friends, you're doing whatever, that is God's designed you to be a person who can know him and make other people known. So as we do that, let's jump in. Three things in that concentric circle from Philippians chapter three. Let's read it together. This is Paul's manifesto. He talks about earlier in the verses, there's one thing that I have is that I want to know Christ and I count everything else as loss. And he says, not that I've already attained this or that I'm already made perfect, but I press on. Say press on. And, and here's the verse that I, part of the verse that I really want you to get. That I may lay hold of that for which Jesus has laid hold of me. Who's the first layer holder? <laughs> Good English, eh? Jesus is the first one who lays a hold of us. And then he says, I, I want, because Jesus laid a hold of me, I want to lay a hold of, of this thing. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that they're behind and reaching forward, say reaching forward, toward those things that are ahead, I press, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Now what Paul lays out for us here is not how to live your life as a mediocre Christian and sort of get by so you make it to heaven. Right? Paul says, this is how you live a life where you are genuinely fulfilled, where you have a purpose and a focus, and you live your life out so everybody in the world knows you are completely different than them. And it's not because your clothes are different or even that you go Sunday morning to church because you are completely focused on something that nobody else is focused on. Because what's our world focused on? Stuff, power, feeling good, right? And Paul says, one thing I do, one thing. I leave it behind. Whatever is in, whatever's behind is behind. I can't do anything about that. C.S. Lewis uh, has this, this great quote. You're going to have to put it up, guys, because I lost myself in my notes. He says, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. I love C.S. Lewis. This is not a backwards look. This is a forwards look. And what Paul does is he says this. And, and I'm going to give you an image that some of you probably didn't know this. I'm an expert because I've studied up on laser light. Do you know how I became an expert? I have the internet. <laughs> so you too 
can be an expert on this. Light that you would have in a room that you would turn on a switch is light that's scattered all over the place. But if you have laser light, and probably most of you know this, the light is gathered and it's focused, and a laser can cut the hardest things that there are on earth. It can cut through steel. It can cut through diamonds. Usually you use diamond-tipped stuff to cut. It can cut right through it because it's gathered and it's focused. This is what Paul is saying. What he has chosen to do, the one thing that he has chosen to do with his life is this. Be gathered and focused in saying, this is how I'm going to live my life. And and I think if we are not intentional about what we do, we end up being all over the place. And our life has a whole bunch of different focuses. My kids have to be in all 15 sports in order for me to be okay, right? I'm living my life. I have to live in this place. I have to do this stuff. And our stuff gets scattered all over the place. And Paul says, one thing. As you live your life, as you do all the stuff that you do, as you make all the stuff happen, gather, focus. This is what I do. I know God, and I make him known by being myself. One thing. And, and how he does it is, I think Paul's analogy here is so powerful because he says, God took a hold of me, And therefore, I take a hold of whatever it is that he has for me to do. God took a hold of me. He was the first one that did it. Every other religion, you kind of make your way, and hopefully the gods are okay with you. That's not how this happened. And sometimes we make a big deal. Well, you know, I was searching for God. I'm going, well, okay, yes, but... You know what the real answer is? Before the beginning of time, God knew you, and he took you, and he loved you, and he grabbed a hold of you, and you're his. I took a hold of you. This is how God took a hold of you, on the cross, where he suffered and he died through Jesus. Yeah, you searched for him, but that's what taking a hold has looked like. When you, when you understand at a deeper, it's why we sing the songs we do, it's why we're in small groups, it's why we mentor, it's why we do all the things that we do at church, so we understand that God takes a hold of us. He takes a hold of the love and mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness, and he grabs a hold of us because any other motivation is going to end up being something that falls away. God took a hold of me. He did that for me. Paul says one thing. There's one thing that I'm going to do because I was taken a hold of. I I find it kind of fascinating that I've had probably a dozen of these conversations over the years where somebody comes in and they say, you know, to my office, and they say, I need to rededicate my life. Like, I really tried hard not to be a Christian. Amen, some of you? Yep. You did. You said, I'm, I, I'm done with this. Like something happened. The church did something. You people, right? And they're just mad and angry at some circumstance. Like how can God love me if? How is God actually if? And uh, all of that stuff flows out. But then they try living their life without Jesus. And they can't. You know why they can't? Because someone got a hold of them. 
And it's not about what they're doing in that moment or, or what things might be going on or not going on. He says, you know, I have tried hard to not be a Christian. But there is something that got a hold of me. There is someone who won't let me go. I keep having all these things happen and these people come in and I need to, I need to go back to what's real because someone took a hold of me. That's true for all of you, isn't it? That's why we do what we do. That's why we live a life that can have fulfillment in it because God took a hold of us and he is not letting go. There's a power, there's a ferocity to God's love of you. There's a way that he grabs a hold of you that is absolutely incredible. And I think what we learn, the second thing that we learn in terms of this is that, is that, that we live in a time right now that's called the present age. And the present age is when Satan rules the world and things are as they are and everything's sort of falling apart. Does it kind of feel like things are falling apart a little bit? Yeah. And Jesus came and he said, well, there's an age to come, but right now in this present age since Jesus came, we are going to have to learn to live in this world with it being broken. And what God is trying to stir up in you is an expectancy that, he, that him, who he is, is going to break into this world. That you would be expectant that God is going to come and he is going to have the resources of heaven for you. And I think, I think that's a big struggle for us. Because I think we live our life and we can end up living our life like everybody else. And we don't live expectant that, God, you're going to break in. You're going to do something extraordinary. Uh, You may not change my circumstances, but you're going to change my heart. You may not change everything in my life, but you give me peace and joy as I walk through it. All those things are things that heaven, the sources of heaven that come down in the middle of this broken world. There's a lady who uh, came to me uh, in early July, and she said, you need to pray for my son. He has uh, crippling anxiety. Hasn't been able to hold down a job. Medication stuff, all this stuff is just really terrible. And so I went, and I, I actually knew the family had done a, a group with them. And I ended up praying for them. And then I was gone visiting campuses or whatever. Came back, and she grabs me again, and she says, you know what, you will not believe this. She says, the first day, the second day, and the third day, everything got better in my son's life. This has been years that he has dealt with this. And on the third day, he got a phone call from somebody offering him a job, and he has not worked for years. Wow. Hey, who's in charge of your life? You know, we forget, don't we, because we get so focused on the things that are happening in our lives that we forget that the resources of heaven are ours. And so it doesn't work like a gumball machine. You can't just put in your quarter and make it happen because we want it now. But God says, I am that God. That you, Paul says, you can live expectantly. You can press. Press into it. And the more you press into it, the more God is going to show up and do the things. You, that's the place of fulfillment in your life. When we live expectantly of what God is doing and how he's going to do it. Most of those times, folks, God calls you to risk something. To step out. Paul and Barnabas risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The way we live our lives safely will probably not lead us to living expectantly. 
if you live your life in a way where you say, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance. I'm going to grab the pastor as he's going by. You have to pray for my kid. Isn't that kind of cool? I love what God does. The second thing is this. We need to have a lifestyle of influence. That God wants to make a connection with you. And he wants to have you move forward in, in that unique call that God has for you. And what he's done is he's put all these people together, all of you together. And he's given you the ability to function together. Individually, you actually don't have a chance to accomplish what you're going to accomplish. See, as we look at the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you're going to look at it. And you're not going to see that one person was the hero of the story, are you? There was the nation of Israel, there's the church now, there's the bride, and everybody has a part to play, but not everybody is, is the person who makes it happen. And I think what happens in our lives is we get frustrated because we tried something, we stepped out, except we did it all by ourselves. And you need to have those people around you. You were built and meant to be, let's see, what does the Bible call us again? Oh, yeah, the body. Right? And as we function that way, I was, I was reading a, a, an account, Eileen and I are, are uh, kind of diving into Graham Cook stuff a little bit, and I was reading an account he had of this story that God used to sort of change him. And his story was this. He had been a, a ministry leader traveling all around Europe, and he was kind of getting known, and people really liked him. He has a winsomeness to him. And as he was going through the things he was going through, he saw some things in the team members that he didn't like. And he was a junior guy, and he was kind of calling them out a little bit on it. And it wasn't going well, so he said, you know what, can I just, can I just leave? I, I, I don't want to be a problem. And they said, sure, you can leave. And uh, this is what happened. When he left... And people would say, where's Graham? They would say, oh, Graham, yeah. Well, we tried talking to him, but... And it was sort of true, but very unhelpful. So all of the ministry stuff died up, died out. And uh, he had a wife and he had kids. So he was this ministry leader that was traveling around. And he ended up doing this, guys. Digging graves in places where nobody could, where the backhoes and stuff couldn't go. So he dug graves. And, and he said kind of the low point of his whole life was he was digging a family grave, which was about 15 feet down. They had clay there, so he was digging a clay covered from clay top to bottom. And the boys thought it would be very fun to pull his ladder out. And he was on an eight... <laughs> He was on an eight-hour shift, right? And so at about hour six, it starts to pour rain. And he has no ladder, and the one group of guys thought the other group of guys was going to take the ladder, and both of them thought the other one was going to do it. And he is sitting, like, up to, like, a foot of, how many centimeters is a foot? 30. 30. Really? Okay. 30 centimeters. He's in 30 centimeters of water, and it's pouring. He's covered, and he's just saying, Really, God? And so he spent a whole hour complaining. Have you ever prayed while you complain? I mean, and complained while you prayed? All, all the things that he was feeling, he was pouring out all his feelings to God. And then he had this moment when the water was about right here, and he was so cold, and he was just about to completely fall apart. He had this thought, uh, and it was clearly a God thought, 
what is God feeling about this situation? And I bet none of you think like this. What is God feeling about this situation? Not that he loves me and he's like all that stuff, which is true. And he stopped his whining and he said, God, what are you feeling about this situation right now? And he felt like God said to him, not in an audible voice, but you know that sense you get in your head, where he said, Graham, this is going to be the turning point of your life to make you into the man that God has you to be. And so I am so excited about the rain. (laughs) I am feeling happy about the rain. Now, if you are cynical or self-focused, you could kind of go, oh. But he went, oh, okay. God, if that's what you're feeling, I'm going to... I'm going to jump on what you're feeling because what I'm feeling, not helpful. And he said everything changed. He had tried praising before. You ever tried praising when you're in the middle of a circumstance that's terrible and it comes out like, oh, right? You know, I mean, there's some value to that, I think, because God interprets things, whatever, whatever. He's way better than I am. But, you know, mostly not helpful, right? What he did was he got to the point and he was praising. You know that song we sang about the goodness of God? That was the song that started just sort of coming out of him. You've been with me all these years. You've never forsaken me. And he was in a, literally in a grave, in the water, completely forgotten, completely forsaken. And what's coming out of his mouth is, God, you have all these years never forsaken me. And both of those things were true at the same time. Right? So what? Are you going to focus on? And he said, that was the turning point in my life. You're going to see four things that we need to get in line with God. We need to see things the way God sees things. We need to speak the way God speaks. Sometimes as charismatics, we just do the second one, and we're just speaking out of stuff, and it's not helpful. You're just annoying people. Please don't do that. You need to see things the way God sees things. You need to speak the way God speaks. You can think the way God thinks. And I don't think you've ever thought of this before. You can feel the way God feels. Your emotions are not some horrible thing that you have to put aside. Peace, joy, love. Part of that is a feeling that God wants to plant in your heart. So here's my question. Of all those four things that we're going to do, what do you think your chances are of doing that without the people around you that are there to help you? Zero. I know a lot of you, none of you are that holy. Amen? (laughs) Wait a minute. God designed to have people around so you could function in a way that you're meant to function, but you can only do that when you have people around you. I was doing a men's ministry meeting and came home this week, and Eileen asked me, how's your meeting? I said, it was good. It was really good. Met with a bunch of guys, and I said, Tim was there. And every meeting when I'm with Tim is like 30% better. She goes, really? I said, yeah, he's like... And I listed off all... I've never told this. I should probably tell them this sometime, eh? 
and I listed off all this stuff of who he is, and, and Tim has publicly said that he had like an emotional breakdown and struggled with stuff, and it's been really hard in his life, but he's come out of it. You know what? I need Tim. Who do you need? Who's the connection in your life that helps you to do those things? Because there's a way that you think, feel, act, perceive that you need somebody around to help you to get what God is doing because, you know what? Sooner or later, you're all going to be in a pit. And what are you going to do? You need those connections in your life. The last thing, very briefly, I want to talk about this, is you have a lifestyle of influence. You're going to need those connections. The last thing I want to talk to you about is this, is you are going to need a sense of how do I listen and obey? We need to press on toward the goal. How do I listen and obey? And we've had, uh, we've had an interesting experience with this. First service, in between services, I went to my wife and said, okay, I have a confession to make. I was going to tell a story about myself, but it ended up being about you, and I sort of exposed to everybody what you were doing. I am like the extrovert. My personality, right? My wife is the introvert, and, and please don't tell those stories about me ever. So in between, I had to go have a confession, so now I can tell you the story. <laughs> she never did actually explicitly give me permission, but you know, there you go. Um, this season in my wife's life is, is ending at, at uh, the kids' ministry stuff, and she's, for a number of reasons, just you know, moving on, and we were sort of praying about, okay, God, what's your deal? We need to take a step of faith if you're, if you're going to really make things happen, right? And uh, felt, got a prophecy over her that said, you are going to be involved in the arts community, but it's not going to be in church. It's going to be outside church, and you're going to be a light to the people in the arts community, uh, and you're going to make stuff happen there. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. So we sat there and did nothing and saw what God would do. Had to do something. So my little thing is, I started talking about this, and I made my wife's um, office into a little studio. And I was all excited about this. I told my friend, and I said, friend said, oh, I got these like three set of lights that I have extras left over that makes it look like natural light, like sunlight coming down. So she can draw, and it's going to be just like she's outside. And I said, oh, that's great. And then I saw that, noticed that she was reading a devotional on how God is creative, and all of these steps are beginning stuff. And then she booked a time with her sister, who's actually an artist, and they're going to spend a week doing art stuff. And I'm going to be nowhere near there. Amen. <laughs> if you are going to move forward, you are going to need to take a step. What's the step that you're going to need to take? Sometimes those steps, friends, are really scary. Sometimes those steps are big steps. Most of them are small ones, but every once in a while you get called to something big. And God wants you to let go of control and let go of the way the world sees things and go on God's plan. You need to listen and obey. How many of you have seen The Sound of Freedom, that movie? Nice light fare, eh? Ooh. Uh, this guy is, I, I love what he had to say. He says, I don't trust Hollywood, but I saw Jim Caviezel, you know, the guy who, had, who did Jesus, and he said, you know what? I, I know he loves Jesus, and that's important. And someone who loves Jesus, I can at least trust that. 
And so they made this movie, and as I'm researching, and Hollywood is Hollywood, right? It's based on it, so it's like whatever, whatever. But I love this interview where he is talking about his decision in his life that he had to make to trust and obey, and how he incorporated somebody else into that decision. It's kind of cutting right into the middle of it, particularly. He helped me to see that uh, very thing, that give the burden to, to God, and, and, and then you can be... But you have to subject yourself like a child in order to do that and recognize you can't on your own do it. But she, she ran me through this exercise. I don't know where she got it. Maybe it was a download from heaven, but um, she said, do you see the two paths you're, you're going on? Either you go into Columbia and you do this operation, and what does that look like? And, and, and I said, it looks horrifying. It's scary. It's dark. There's, there's cobwebs. I, I, I mean, I was literally imagining this. There's, there's spiders. There's evil things. And she said, what's the other path? And I said, well, the other path is, is, is light. Um, it's, you know, I, I can see at 50, I get to retire and then I don't have to, you know, I, I'm, I'm paid a federal government salary my whole life and benefits and that seems secure to me. And I, that seems comfortable. Then she says, close your eyes and, and, and you're with your maker. You've passed through this life and you're talking to your maker and he has two questions for you. One, could you have saved the kids? And two, did you do it? That's your interview. And she's, and, and, and I got, it shocked me. I thought, oh, that's going to be a bad interview. Uh, if I don't have the right answer, if I don't make the right decision here. And then she says, okay, now go back to those two paths. What do you see? And I'm telling you, the, the cobwebs and creepy things were now on the path of staying in my federal government comfortable job. I thought, what might I lose? What blessings might not come? And then she said, what do you see down the path of Columbia? And she said, I see, I said, I see warmth. I see, I can't see everything, but that's the path I want. And I think that's what that means is I will give it to God and do the right thing and subject myself like a child. There are times that God calls you in your life and, and sometimes they're, they're small things, but sometimes there's a really significant things to say, you know what? There's a way that you've been thinking that is like the world but I have something way more significant for you. This is your area of fulfillment. Trust and obey. Amen? Why don't you stand? Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand. If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads, closing your eyes online, there's a little hand that's going to come up in a second. And in the room, if you're not looking around, that'd be great. Are you here today and you have never made that decision to give Jesus leadership of your life? If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And kind of in addition to that, maybe as I've been talking, you've said, you know what, I have one of those decisions that I need to make, and I, I just want to, by raising my hand, acknowledge that I am choosing to trust God. I'm, I'm not going to choose the easy path, all right? So with, without anybody looking around, if either things are those, just kind of put up your hand. Yeah, thank you in the front. Hands going up all over the place. Good. Thank you in the back. Anybody? Yep. Thank you, sir. Yep. Thank you here in the front, in the back. Yeah. All good. That's great. So we're going to pray this together. And online, if you acknowledge that, I want you to pray it with all your heart, too. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I choose to give him leadership of my life. I thank you that that is the place of fulfillment. It's a place of love. It's a place where I'm called and where I'm fulfilled. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.